Well, let's begin with prayer. Father, we come and we do give you thanks for grace of provision in the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to give you thanks for your pursuit of us by the Spirit of God. We come to give you thanks for the opportunity we have to to live in the Lord Jesus Christ this day. And we're coming and asking you to meet us as we fellowship together. Come by your Spirit. Teach us your Word. Inspire our hearts to faith and to trust you. And we come and trust you for it. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I want you to know I was asked to do this. All right. World's worst salesman. There's only one thing I'm interested in selling to anybody, and that's the Lord. All right. Um, but I wrote a book. Right? I don't know why, but I did. No, I do know why. And that's what I'm going to tell you, because um, the school was founded by Mr. Carroll for um, because he had seen missionaries struggle. And assessing their struggling, he said, there's two problems that they have. And one of those problems was that they don't know how to pray. I remember him saying this over and over again. They regard prayer as incidental rather than fundamental. Right? He said they also don't know the enemy they're up against. And he said, I'm going to start a school that teaches the Word of God and prepares people to go out, and not just to missions, but anywhere. And in order to do that, he was going to teach us to pray. Teach us what that really meant. And then, of course, teach us about the enemy we're up against. it, But also all that leading to teach us about who the Lord is that we're going to serve and how we're going to get that done. I was only six months in the Lord when I arrived at school. I became, anyway, it's 50 years ago. It's something. 50 years ago, right about this time. I'm not a good with dates and times, but I know it was in end of March, beginning of April, somewhere we had that conference or that uh, series of meetings in which I came to know the Lord. Six months later, I start school. I hardly know one thing about what really goes on in the Christian life. I had little bits and pieces, but it was just a swirl of information. During those first two years, those two years that I was at school, one of the most important courses I took was a course that Mr. Carroll gave us on prayer, which he took from a pamphlet by R.A. Torrey called Ten Lessons on Prayer. It was life-changing. It was life-changing for me because it set me on a foundation in prayer. Right? The just have to live by faith. That's one of our, our principles. The just live by faith. Now, I am not contradicting. I want you to just note this. I'm going to give you a definition of faith. We just had a definition from, of faith. Faith can be looked at from a lot of different angles. All right? And I'll relate the two. But I know this is, I'm a little bit mechanical. All right, more or less the you know, chemist in things, you know, what's the, how does this all work out? The best definition that I came to help me understand faith is faith listens to what God says and builds its life on it. It listens to what God says, then it builds its life on it. Now, of course, that brings you back to the reliance feature. He said faith is reliance. Well, of course it's reliance because when Jesus speaks to you, what he's going to ask you to do is going to require that you move from your confidence in you to your confidence in him. That's just what he says. I happen to know every, you know, what he, what he has to say here. 
So it always goes there. It's, it's what he says at the end of, we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount today. It's what he says at the end of. Now, you've listened to what I have to say. And this is my paraphrase of it. Now, if you will build your life on that, you're going to be on a rock. If you don't, you won't. And there is a storm coming. There's a storm coming. That's a guaranteed future. And if you want to survive that storm, build on the rock. If, if you do, that's the act of faith. If you don't, that's, that's unbelief. But you see, in order for me to build a life, which is a life of faith, I must know what God said. That's it. How about that? All right. Last year we were talking about that a little bit. Faith is never creative. I don't determine what I'm going to believe and then go believe it. The faith has no, no capacity to do anything. Right? Faith is not a, it's not a force that enables me to do something. It is confidence in somebody else. The whole issue in faith is who God is and what He will do. And I build on that. But I have to know what He will, what He's going to do. And so, as I came to that study of the prayer life, what Mr. Carroll did for me and what that, that course did was to give me principles that I can rely on, I can go back to, all right, with regards to prayer. Um, we used that book a number of times, um, but I can, came into a personal you know, issue with the thing because it was Victorian. It's, it's way back there. And not that the truth has changed, but I'm talking to, well, let's say 2,000 and 2,000 plus students. I mean, they're here we are, and we're in different kind of realm. And as I studied over the years, I also came to, to other thoughts about it. And so I determined that I would write this all out. And I wrote it out for students. I want you to know this. If you get the book, um, it is written as a textbook. It's not written to be elaborate. It's not written to replace. <laughs> There's tremendous books on prayer. They're great books. And at the beginning, I say that, I mean, it's one of the most insane things. You think, why would you write a book on prayer? There are, you know, a stack is high of books on prayer. But I wrote it for, for students because this is the course. This is the textbook for the course. And I wrote it for another reason. You would find out if you go through here that there are very few illustrations, that is, stories, anecdotes concerning prayer. Almost none. And that was by design. One of the features that I learned as I, I studied later on, um, and I did do this time, this is, this is pre-computer days. Pre-computer days. When I was a student, there were, there were actually not computers in those days. Or at least computers that I was accessing. I mean, they were out there, but that, that I could use in my, for my personal studies. So when I wanted to do a survey of what the New Testament taught concerning prayer, I had to do it by getting a Bible, going verse by verse, reading the entire thing, writing out everything, then typing all that up. And I did. And I've lost it. How about that? I don't know why I did that, but I lost it. But I had a stack at the end that had every reference to prayer and every prayer that was prayed in the New Testament. And there I'm going to study it and find out what does it say. If you do that, I'll tell you one thing you'll find out. I think this is a general principle, again, is that it is Jesus who tells us how to pray. It is the epistles that tell us what to do with that skill. All right? 
The epistles don't tell you a lot about the how-to of prayer. It tells you what to do with it, how to apply it, how to carry out that experience. But it's the Lord who tells you what are the foundational principles on which that prayer prayer life can be developed. And I wrote this, again, one of the reasons that I don't have the antidotes is that um, a surprising feature comes up. Did you know that there is no reference before the upper room of Jesus praying with his disciples? There just isn't any reference. Now, that's aside from, um, what should I say? He did say at one time, I praise you, O Father. When he said, when he asked Peter who was, he gave this short, I praise you, O Father. So I'm, I'm not saying he never heard him and he, he gave thanks before he broke the, the bread and, and distributed to those 5,000 people, those kind of prayers. But Jesus had a very elaborate prayer life. It, it tells us again and again he went apart and would spend these long periods of time, once at night, all, all the way through the night. But there is no reference to him ever taking a disciple with him into that prayer time. And I think that's, that's significant. Now, again, I'm, I'm on very thin ice there theologically. So, hey, let me just let me acknowledge it. <laughs> Because to argue that it didn't happen because it doesn't say it happened is really kind of, <clears throat> there's a lot of things that happened during that time that aren't recorded. But I think it would have been significant. And I think that if men had gone out and heard Jesus pray, we would have more record in the New Testament about it. Because what would be more valuable in edification of the saints than the record of the actual prayers that Jesus gave? Now again, we have one. One big prayer, and that's found in John chapter 17, but that's the upper room. That's just before the end. There's only one time when he invites that we have a record of him inviting his disciples to pray with him. And that will come a couple hours later as he invites, he calls, he says, Peter, James, John, come apart, stand with me. And uh, we don't know who it was that listened to what happened, but it wasn't Peter and James and John. They fell asleep. So they didn't, they didn't do it. They apparently didn't have any background of all that. The point is this. Prayer is a very personal thing. All right? It's a very personal thing. You're a different personality than I am. And what I want to do is give people the principles that you have to build on, not the way it works out. Because what, what illustration are you going to give? Let me give you two examples. John Wesley one time said, now you remember he's, he's one that was the founder of the Methodists because they did things methodically. You joined the Methodist society and you were required to do certain things. And you had an overseer who made sure you did it. And if you didn't do it, you got the left foot of fellowship, right? They just left you out. They, they took you out of the cause. All right? Now, in, one of the things he said was, I doubt, this is, this is John Wesley, I am not preaching this, I'm just saying this is what John Wesley said. I doubt the sincerity of any man's profession of faith who doesn't spend at least two hours a day in prayer. And he did at least two hours a day in prayer. Okay? Then you get another man, uh, C.H. Spurgeon. H. Parson said, I don't see why anybody spends more than 10 minutes at a time in prayer. What do you do? All right? 
I can't, can't see it. But he says, I've never spent more than 10 minutes of, uh, at a time in prayer, although he did say this. He said, with one exception, he said, when my son died, I spent the whole night in prayer. But he says, apart from that, just coming to the Lord in that situation, I never spent more than 10 minutes at a time in prayer. But he said this, I also can't remember a time when I was out of prayer for more than 10 minutes. So, You've got two, two completely different approaches. John Wesley did all his praying here, and then he, he goes in life. Now, I'm not saying he didn't pray during the day, but he doesn't record much of that. He records this. He does it this way and goes off to the fight, and then, then trusts the Lord in the fight. C.H. Burns doing the other way. They're two different people. Who's doing it the right way? You know, which, which one do you put in the book? <laughs> all right? You probably are cheering for, for uh, C.H. Spurgeon's. Uh, most people do, all right? Because, you know, in this society, how are you going to work out two hours? I mean, that, that would be a real challenge. I'm just telling you, I don't do that two hours a day in prayer. Uh, but anyway, the point is this. You can take certain principles of building, all right? There, everything. My dad was a builder, all right? He tried to teach me all these things, all right? And I remember one day when he said, you know, the strength of a building is in triangles. I'm going like, what? <laughs> anyway, and sure enough, it is. That's one of the principles. You know, buildings stay up because of triangles. All right. And if you don't have those things pulling together, the physics won't work. If you build a chicken coop, all right, you got to build it around triangles or it'll fall down. Or it'll... But if you build a, a skyscraper, you build by the same principles that you built the chicken coop. Right? We had a, we had a case in Greenville, South Carolina, just before I got here. They told me about it, but on Roper Mountain, they were going to build this elaborate science center. And part of that thing was a, it was a great big dome. It was made of all these, um, see, they were plastic or plexiglass type of windows. And they were, they were in, it was, they got it halfway up and it fell down, <laughs> you know, and they, ooh, <laughs> it just, boom. Somebody in the engineering department <laughs> failed to apply the principles of a building. And the thing collapsed. You see, it was a beautiful thought, <laughs> but beautiful thoughts don't get it done. There's, there's principles. You can have a very elaborate prayer life. You can have a, a very, um, what could appear to anybody else to be a non-elaborate prayer life. But they all rest on the same principles. If I get the principles right, then you can develop it according to your personality and your possibilities. But you have to keep with the principles. So this book is kind of, in one sense, could be seen as kind of boring. Because this is a manual of, if you get in trouble, go back and check. This is kind of like one of those ones where you got in the car. You know, if your car stops alongside the road, check this. All right? Do that. I used to work in, I was a chemistry major at Furman University, and I had a chance to run a machine that was worth, at that time, $100,000. That was amazing for an undergraduate to touch a machine that was that, and that's a long time ago. That was a very valuable machine. And beside the machine, they had what they called the idiot list. That was what, that, that's how they addressed us, you know, <laughs> it was the idiot list. If you can't get the thing to go, if it's, if you run into problems, do this. Check this. Then check. Now, you know what the first one was? 
Check and see if it's plugged in. <laughs> make sure that the, the janitor didn't unplug it, you know. So make sure it's plugged in. And it had three or four on switches. Are they all on? And you're just going down the checklist and you're seeing where is it that there's a problem. Now, there would be, it would run out because there could be problems that I couldn't fix. But the point is that uh, when students are here at the school, we teach them to pray. And they spend a lot of time in prayer, a lot of opportunity to develop that habit and skill. But they're going to go out from here into a world where they're not surrounded in the same sense by people who are working with them and and helping them. And they're going to run into difficulties. That's inevitable, right? Because not only are they going to run into the world out there, they're going to run into the pressures of that. But they're going to have a devil on their back, right? They're going to have a devil on their back. And what's he going to try to do? One of the things he's going to attack, and and you know that from your own experience, that you establish that you're going to live a prayer life and you're you're going to find out there's a devil, right? Just try. All right? Found that out very early in my experience. I decided I went home one time. I'm going to get up early and... And have my quiet time at home. And I found out that this wasn't going to work. Because no matter how early I got up. People got up with me. Right. And it was like this is not going to be that easy. You know. I thought I got a piece of cake. But it wasn't. It's never a piece of cake. But if they're out there. And their prayer life starts to get. They're just not conscious. We're, we're off the rails a little bit here. And I want to get back on the rails. I want them to get the book, which is real simplistic, and go through the checklist. This is all that Jesus, and everything that Jesus said is included. All right, I, I went over everything that is is said there. This is everything. There's nothing else. All right, but it's not elaborate. It's just the checklist. It's just here's where to go. Here's what to do. Are you are you right here? Are you right here? Are you right here? And then from that you can begin to. So again, I want to say that it's there. There's lots of good books. It's not a replacement for other books. It's a textbook for us. And if you read it, you're going to find out it doesn't have the elaborate stories. All it has is he said this. What does that mean to us? What are we going to do about it? Because actually the prayer is really kind of simple. The principles of prayer are very simple. They're not hard to understand. They really aren't. They're very difficult to apply. All right. So the book is about your life, really. Because right praying is just part of right living, right? Your prayer life isn't different than your regular life, right? <laughs> it's, it's part of your, just like my breathing life isn't different than my eating life, all right? I have to breathe. I'm up here, and the whole time that I'm talking, I have to also breathe, all right? I can't say, well, I'll do my breathing first, so I won't have to worry about that while I'm up in front of the people. Well, you can't do it that way. It's, it's, inter, it's interwoven. Praying is part of Christian living. And if I'm going to do it right, it's going to, it's going to be demanding because it, I have to adjust my soul. I don't just have to do something superficial. So anyway, that's what the book's about. All right. And again, if uh, that's helpful to you, then good. All right. So there it is. Um, did that, did I do it, Colin? And it's cheap, and I'm not getting any money out of it. Oh, man. But that's it. So, there we go. All right. But we want to think about it, and he asked me to do this, and I'm glad to do it, because 
One of the things I've also noted is the reason we write is because people get off track. They do get off track. And we just, you have to keep coming back and, and testing it out. Where am I at on this? And surprisingly, again, I think that the very first lesson the Lord ever gave in prayer is the one that most people begin to get off track on. Right? And it's, it's so simple. It's simple to think about. Not so simple to pull off. And that has to do with what he, he's speaking about in Matthew chapter 6. All right, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Let me just note that when R.A. Torrey put the book together, the Ten Lessons on Prayer, what he did is he tried to chronological, chronologically say, this is what Jesus said, first, second, third, and fourth. All right? And although there are different chronologies that can be put together concerning the Lord's life and different opinions as to where things fit, the fact is that for the most part, the teaching on prayer is pretty easy to set chronologically. And this is, even no matter which way you look at the placement of the Sermon on the Mount, this is the first thing that the Spirit of God has recorded that Jesus Christ said about prayer. Right? It's in chapter 6 of the book of Matthew. All right, now I'm going to... It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting time. Right? Um, because it's not delivered to theologians, not even delivered just to the disciples. And even if we say it was delivered primarily to the disciples, we need to realize that these disciples probably had not been disciples for more than a couple months, a year. Depends on, again, where you're exactly setting it. But it's the early part of his ministry. It's while he's still up in Capernaum. It's at the very, very start of things. And so these disciples, that it says here, they are not theologians. <laughs> these are, uh, okay, say Peter's on this. Peter's only a couple months from being a fisherman. Remember, he was throwing, throwing nets out. And Jesus says, okay, come and follow me. And okay, now he's following him. Right, that's that's one group that's there. The the Sermon on the Mount is primarily, it says at the beginning, he's going to speak to his disciples. But then there's this mob of people that comes too. All right, they're just there. These disciples, they're they're nobody important. The only people that you remember of all them are the ones that actually become apostles, and you know. But the rest of them, who were they? Well, we don't know. They're there to hear him speak. But there's a whole another group, and they are there for a completely different reason. They are regular people that are suffering. That's what it tells him. They're people with problems. I mean, serious problems. What kind of problems? They might have children that have, again, it's just hard to know the words, what to apply it. Epilepsy. Um, problems, we would, all the things kids can have. They were sick with this. They are breadwinners that are, are lame. All right, they're lame. And if you can't, you know, you've got all kinds of problems. And if you are the breadwinner for the family, that's real suffering for a group of people. These are just regular people who have gathered there. They're just following Jesus to get healing. All right, because he's giving them hope. And that's the that's the big word that you have here when they come to this. Jesus is giving people hope for the disciples. It's the hope that there is actually truth that I can put my weight on. 
They were taught by Pharisees and by others. But when Jesus started to speak, immediately the disciples said, there's something different about this. He speaks with authority. He speaks with a certainty that makes me feel like I can put my weight on this instead of that theological stuff that's out here. There's lots of speculation. On the other side, these people had hope because they were people that were, were just trying to just trying to get by in life with all kinds of problems. I mean, just note about them before we get this story or look at it, because one of the first principles you have to do when you're, I have to teach people how to preach, all right? That's a joke. But anyway, I'm going to teach them how to preach. But there are still fundamental principles. And one of the principles, if you want to connect with people, if you want your message to meet people's needs, you have to stop and think, who am I talking to and what are their, where is their need? What is it that I have to address in their heart? And those people that are coming there are just, they're, they're real hurting people. And, uh, by the, again, it's right in the paragraph right before this. Okay, and they've gathered together. Now, there would have been other people there uh, that aren't mentioned. We can assume that there were Pharisees there because the religious leaders were always, they were the religious police. We have to understand it. This is a, this is a state religion system. So there are religious police to make sure he's saying the right thing. Um, it's only a few miles apparently from Capernaum, which he, uh, he, where he lived. And Capernaum was a, was a, there was a, Roman cohort that was there because they had to protect the taxes that were being collected at a particular point. There was a centurion there. Remember the story of the centurion? He's the head of that cohort and he's there. Um, when that many Jews get together, they always thought rebe- Romans thought rebellion. They're going to rebel. <laughs> so you can be guaranteed that when that mob started to gather together, Roman soldiers went out there and stood on the, somewhere on the outside and make sure that this thing stays under control. But they're not mentioned. The message was preached to disciples who wanted to know truth and to people who were hurting, just regular people. They didn't have a lot. I was figuring one day, I've been to Capernaum. I had a chance to been there. Lots of you probably have been there. It's a long, long time ago. And you sit there and you can see the foundations of houses. Foundation of a house. <laughs> it's about 14 by 14. Figured one day that um, inside my home, where my wife and I live, you could fit 15 families just on our, our in our little block. That would have been 15 different cells if they were blocked off. Uh, apparently, they wouldn't, we wouldn't all live in the same place, but you know they would have been all there with their families, and they tended to have pretty large families. And that's a lot of people stuck in that little place. But that was home. They didn't have a whole lot. And Jesus looks out across them, and, and it's to those people that he's speaking. He's speaking about their heart need. And one of the features of the uh, Sermon on the Mount that, and this passage, and I point that out in the book, is the degree to which the Lord understands the heart of man. He knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly what we're going through. In the last session, we were asking that question, why don't people pray? It's a good question to ask. Why don't people pray? And there are a lot of different answers you can give to that. Uh, we tend to think with regards to the church that's laziness. But I personally believe that the biggest problem, the biggest hindrance to prayer is what Don was talking about last night. It's just the discouragement of what's the point? What's the point? 
What's the point because of who I am? I mean, why would God listen to me? I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I mean, you're one of seven billion on the face of the earth and he's got a lot to do. What would, you know, why? But the other side is this. I tried it. I've already been there. And I couldn't make it work. Right? I mean, then maybe you're not in that category and I hope you're not. But unanswered prayer is a big problem to a lot of people. And the problem with unanswered prayer is not just that you didn't get the prayer, but when you pray to God and you don't get the answer you were looking for, it is almost impossible not to change your theology. That's what we were hearing last night. So you're, 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 here's God, and I ask Him, and He didn't answer. And if this was important to you, Then you have to come to the conclusion, you have to come to some conclusion about God. Some come to the conclusion he just doesn't care what happens to me and I'm not going back there. Or that he couldn't do it. And then, then we, we stop. I want to tell you, if you go through those lessons, the overwhelming force of those lessons is very positive. It's very, very positive. That's why I like to, I like to go through this with students. And it's important that we understand that because we're, we're pretty negative about prayer, right? I've told, I've said that many times here, but it just, it, because it's, it's where I think we get to. When I was growing up, the phrase, all we can do is pray, was a pronouncement of death. Oh, all we can do is pray. He's gone. And that was, it shaped the way I looked at prayer and the way I looked at God, when you finally got to the place where it's time to pray, it meant I've done everything I can do. And now it's up to God and He never does anything. Now that's the way I understood it as a little boy. All right, I'm not saying that's what everybody does, but the point is this. It's very negative, our thinking. But Jesus' teaching is very positive. It's very positive. And so He begins with the, the first... The first lesson here. So that's who he's talking to. The Sermon on the Mount is divided into sections in which Jesus basically introduces a, an idea and then illustrates that idea. And we won't go into too much on that. In chapter 6, verse 1, he introduces a new idea. And then he's going to illustrate that idea. The pro- teaching on prayer comes out of the illustration. It starts in verse 1. It says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. That's the principle. I want to note a couple things about that, again, going very quickly. We have talked about before, but go over this quickly. First words were beware. All right, just note this. That the Bible doesn't warn you wasting its time. Every time the Bible warns you, and particularly when it says beware or watch out for or take note here, it always involves two things. Number one, whatever it warns you about is something you are really prone to do. All right? When it says beware of practicing righteousness before men to be seen of men, it is, it is so common among human beings. We do it. I did it. You've done it. Maybe you haven't done it. Okay, but I've done it. Because when you're, you're serving an, an invisible God, you're, you're professing to do this. It is so much easier to measure my, my success by how you respond than by how the invisible God responds. Right? How do I 
No, I'm saying again, this is how a lot of people learn how to pray. You you learn how to pray by you didn't want to do it anyway because of this problem, and then you ventured out and you said something in prayer, and did it fly? No. Okay, I won't say that again. All right, let's uh, try this one. And then you listen to somebody over there praying, and you, okay, I'll do that one. Um, and you use their vocabulary, and but but you see, you're, you're you're not thinking in terms of God. You think you're measuring it through men, right? We do that anyway. So he says, beware of that because it's one something you're prone to. The second thing goes with this: beware is always this. It's not only something you're prone to, but if you fall into this, you're going to pay a price, a big price. So beware is always in terms of, it's not in terms of trivia that you can make a mistake on. It has to do with fundamental problems. You could, you can make an error here and this is going to be trouble. And so Lord says beware. And what is he, what are we to beware of? Practicing our righteousness. That's just your religious duties, your, your, uh, your performance of, of what you think needs to be done in the, that realm with regards to God. Don't do it in front of men to be seen of men. All right. And the reason you're not to do that, he says, is this. Because if you do it that way, and this we, it's a staggering statement, actually. Otherwise, you have what? No reward. No reward. There's nothing, there's of no value spiritually. He's going to go on talking just in a moment about, about giving. He says, if you, let's say you have a billion dollars to give, and you gave all billion dollars, and you said, da-da-da-da! Once you go, da-da-da-da, you wipe out the value spiritually of that gift. It's of no value. God doesn't count it. (laughs) Surely not. I mean, that if I do anything, and it's so that I can impress you in these realms, all right, it's of no value. That's one to stay back and think about, but we don't have time, all right? So that's the principle. He goes to the matter concerning giving, but in verse 5, he moves to prayer. And all I'm going to do is just talk about <clears throat> verses 5 and 6, and mostly verse 6. Okay, he says, when you pray, okay, this is an application of that principle. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. So he said that you've seen this and they had seen it. You had seen it. They'd see men make elaborate prayers. They did it. They did it in public. This was just, this is not that uncommon. And they would go to prominent places to offer their prayers. And they were, they were carefully structured prayers. He said, don't do that. Don't do that. And he says this, that they've received their full blessing. Right? That's, that's all the benefit that there is there. And that's don't 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 go like that. Right? Don't pray so people can see you. Now that's important for us because we're prone to that. I'm prone to that. I have to avoid that. Right? Just as it, if you're going to walk uprightly, you're going to have to put to death the deeds of the body. If by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, we're going to live. Well, one of the deeds of the body is that tendency to profess to be living before God and to be living before you. To use the things which should be there to honor God and in my service and make it something to promote my own self 
it's just that's flesh all over the place. I have it. Um, again, and I'm just going to tell you some practical places. I've taught the Word of God now for 50 years. 50 years. You know how much practice that is? All right. That's lots of practice. That's a that's a way of thinking. All right. For 50 years I've been, and and students will tell you this. My wife will tell you this. I talk to myself. I talk to myself because I'm always working out messages. Does that sound good? No, that doesn't sound good. As I have a very hard time writing it down like this. All right. I don't get very far getting. But if I, does that sound good? Does that work? No, that's not a good. That's not good. That's going to interfere with. Okay, so I'm going this all out there. And I get into that frame of, of, of working. And I'm working, working, working. So I get ready and I'm going to finish this message in a minute. All right. A couple of minutes. We're going to be done. And then I'm going to pray. You have no idea how hard it is to turn from preaching mode to praying mode. To stop talking to you and to start talking to God. And I have given a lot of message in prayer. Right? Well, maybe I've been here, but I have. I don't do it purposely. I make every effort. I have to make an effort to stop talking to you and start talking to God. All right? Now you say, well, that's not such a bad thing. Because again, if you, as Mr. Carroll used to say, well, at least if you got a good message, <laughs> it's a, you know, the same thing can happen. And I put in the book here, the same thing can happen when I'm counseling with somebody. Here's somebody sick and they're, and, and now you want to pray for them. Do you know how easy it is to pray to them? Instead of pray for them, you're addressing them. You're preaching to them about how they got what God is. And you know what? You say, well, that's not such a bad thing. At least they're helped. You know, they're comforted by all that. When it's just true, it's comforted. And hopefully that's that's a big comfort. But here's the problem. If I don't take a step against that, you know what comes up? I start getting in my quiet time or my time alone with the Lord. And I start addressing him like I'm talking. I'm, I'm preaching to him. And I'm not preaching to him at all. I'm giving lectures on the realities concerning God. Did you ever think maybe he already knew that? Now, that doesn't, I'm not trying to eliminate like worship. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But when I'm there to talk to somebody, talk to the Lord, it's very, I find it. I'm just telling you the truth. I find this difficult. I find it difficult to shut out all the other things, all the other potentials, and actually address the living God in front of me. He says, he's going to say, don't do this. Don't go to this place. In the next verse, let's read it, because I've got to go quickly here. This is the one I want to get to. The negative side, okay. Um, we could say a lot about that, but I want to get to the positive side. But you, when you pray, I want to just stop right there. Um, you have no idea how shocking that would be because um, the Pharisees had basically taught the regular people that they really didn't have it to do anything spiritual. And here's Jesus saying, you when you pray, he's assuming that they're going to pray. You when you pray. Go into your inner room. Right? Go in the inner room. Shut the door. I won't go into all the humor of the thing. It's, it's, it's a place where you wouldn't be. But what he's saying is retreat. Retreat aggressively 
from where anybody is. Go to the place where where you won't be heard. Nobody will find you even if they're looking for you. Go there. And when you get there, and, and he's not saying go there. This is not a law, all right? Jesus did not go to the inner room and get in the closet, all right, to pray. He went out in the wilderness to pray. So you're not laying down a law. He's simply saying that in order to pray accurately, you need to get your soul away from other people. It is such a strong pull. It is such a profound feature of our being that we have to take definite steps. Right? It's like those that are Christ have crucified the flesh. You're taking a definite step against your flesh. So go out there, he says, and get, get alone. And when you get there, when you get there, what's he say to do? All right. I'll read the rest of the verse here. Go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. All right. So now you go into that room. And what do you do? Close the door. And who do you speak to? You speak to your Father. Now, again, I want to say that um, I find this really difficult to, to grasp hold of. And I want to just say that, that I find accurate praying difficult. I've tried to do it for years and years and years. I've put time into it. But it doesn't, it's hard. thought about this morning. That I get down and I am in a one-on-one relationship with the God of the universe. I don't find that easy to grasp. I don't maybe that that He's actually here, that He actually cares. I, I find that if I am not aggressive about that in my soul, there is some resistance. That surely, uh, so I'll just go ahead with my prayer to stop and think, to stop and realize. That that's what he's saying here. The Father he's talking about is the eternal God. The one who is self-existent. The one who controls everything. The one who is running a world with seven billion people in it. And at that moment, I have the opportunity, one-on-one, to speak with him. That's incredible. That's really, really incredible. And I think it's hard to grasp. That's why when we are teaching students, when I used to do this course, I would force students into some exercises. All right, One of the exercises is go out and sit in the field. Sit in the field somewhere. Get by yourself. And just, just address God as Father and then just sit there and think about what you're... Try to get that into your brain. What you're doing here. Prayer is not just a recitation. It's not just going through emotion out here. It is interacting with the living God, and you have the chance to do it. All right? Now, I want to see some of the things that are important here as far as we're laying a principle, a foundation here. It is a wonderful thing to experience God in prayer, and the Bible encourages us to, that it can happen. He'll come and manifest Himself to us at times. But it is not necessary for prayer. That's very important. He's laying the first foundational point here. He's not saying that when you get there, you're going to feel the presence of God. He says he will be present. All right? He will be present. 
Feeling the presence of someone and having them present are two different things. Is there anyone in this room who has never had to take back or has said something you shouldn't have said and you turn around and the person is right there? Mm. Mm. They were there, but you didn't feel their presence. Because if you had felt their presence, you would have edited your comments. All right? But you didn't. See, the Lord's telling us something here. There's a God. The Father's in secret. Now, He can manifest. He, he, can, he, can, he can let you know. And, and again, we should be encouraged that sometimes He does. But you don't need to sense His presence to know you're in His presence. All right? What you need to do is sense what the Word of God says and go with it. This is where we what? We hear what He says and we build our lives on it. Right? Because if you're going to go to the sense of His presence, you're going to quit praying. Because I can almost guarantee you, I don't know anybody who has always sensed the presence of God when they prayed. Alright? And if you start measuring whether or not you are in a right relationship with God by whether you feel Him when you go to Him, you are really going to be, you're, you're setting yourself up to be shot at by an enemy. Right? But what's the promise of God? You see, we're going to build our lives on this. I'm going to go because he said that when I get there, he's there. Right? And then he says something about the father who's in secret. What does he say about him? The father who sees in secret. That's a very interesting vocabulary. Now, um, I don't think very many people would relate the word see to God in prayer. We don't go to be seen by God, right? What do we use? What's the word we use? Heard. You want to be heard by God, right? <laughs> and you want Him to hear. But He doesn't say, and your Father who hears what's said in secret. He said, your Father who sees what's done in secret. This is real important for us. But the living God says to you that, I want you to come. But he's not promising that he's going to hear you. Now, again, this is, this is a very important vocabulary point. In the Old Testament, the word hear, when it's used with regards to prayer, is almost identical to saying he answers prayer. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That's the Psalms. All right. He will not answer if I am in a state of sin when I come. All right. But this this he doesn't use that vocabulary here. What's he say? The father who sees in secret. He observes what's there. And how did we get into this place? That's, he's just he's observing all this. There's nothing in this first principle that has anything to do with getting things from God. It, it, it's not a it's not getting things at all. Because the essence of prayer is not getting things from God. The essence of prayer is getting alone with Him. That's the essence of prayer. You just get alone and you direct your heart towards God. You see, sometimes we are in a lot of the books on prayer, and because and it's for good reason, because sin has to be dealt with. 
But if you got sin in the way, I wonder how you're going to deal with sin without getting to God. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but if if you figured out a way, you're a heretic. Because there is no other way. When you've offended God, the only thing you can do is come to him. All right, we got all these things. We're good. And so you have to do all these things. And too often in the books on prayer, it, it kind of puts all these barriers up here. There are no barriers between you and God. That's why he's saying it this way. Now, you say, oh, what about sin? I wonder what it was like for the Lord who in just a couple of years, he's going to have to give his life a ransom for many to say this. See, the question of sin is, is he doesn't mention it here and he doesn't have to mention it here because God can make the invitation on the basis of what Jesus is going to do. If it were not for the work of the cross, we would not have the chance to go to God. We would never have that chance. But because that work was going to be done, because the possibility was out there, he can say directly to me, all you have to do is come. All you have to do. Because the play, the way is made for every one of us. It's, it's already finished. How about that? This is important. Because we, we, we spend a lot of time, maybe you don't, but I know a lot of people have spent time trying to say, how can I get to God? How can I get to him? How can I reach him? Um, I hate, not hate to, I'm, I'm glad to be able to announce to you, you don't have to go anywhere to get to God. Right? In him, that's what Paul said about unbelievers. In him, you live and move and have your being. How far away is God? How far away is he? And I know I've said this many times, but you know that thing, ah, I felt like my prayers weren't getting to the ceiling. Well, so what? That'd be like me saying to my wife, I don't think my prayers are getting out of this room or my, my conversation is getting out of there. Well, if she's right here, who cares what it goes out of the room, right? But you see, we don't, we don't grasp that with regards to God. The problem isn't that God isn't there and you have to bridge the gap. The problem is he's there and you won't pay attention to him. You just won't do it. That's, that's where I was, right? Just because the moment I came to Jesus Christ, I met him, right? <laughs> as soon as I honestly turned my heart to him, all right? That's all he's asking for here. The essence of prayer is to honestly bring yourself to God. It's a hard one. It's pass fail. Because I'm either coming to him or I'm not coming to him. I'm either, and this is the thought, I'm either going to address the living God and have a heart to heart with him, or I'm going to let other people and other things interfere and keep me off over here. All I have to do is turn honestly to God. I know I, I kind of, this is a little dangerous to go out onto this limb, but I'll, well, I don't even think, see, some of the people who are, are listening to this don't know God. It's obvious from his application at the end when he makes an appeal that they don't know God. And yet at this particular point, he doesn't qualify what he's saying. Now that part, again, I <laughs> just going into theological. Here's the point. I would put it this way to you. 
You want to help somebody? I don't care where they're at. Get them to be honest with God. Get a person to turn to God and and speak to Him directly. And you've done a great service for them. Now, because this comes to the question, does God answer prayer before we're converted? Well, no and yes. All right. No, he doesn't answer prayer. I mean, we can't go in and make our petitions because we're in the wrong place. But I, I don't think I think we're making a big mistake if. If we discount the possibility of a person coming to God and, and appeal and God, God uses that. All I'm saying is because he finishes with this. He says, when you do this, said, and the God who sees in secret will do what? He will reward you. He will reward you. That's one of the great parts of this. Do you realize what he's saying there? You can't miss blessing if you just speak honestly to God. How about that? Now, he doesn't say you're going to get an answer to prayers. Now, the, the blessing here is not answer to prayer. In fact, the blessing here is not even defined. He doesn't say what that blessing is, but it means that a person who comes honestly to God and speaks to Him will find a blessing. All right? Now, again, uh, back to that other part. I, well, I'll leave that with you. What, what, you have to figure that one out. I've known too many people who had honest prayers before, and God used them to bring them into Himself. You know, he, that was, he just, he did throw certain things for them. And I, I do remember, and again, I'm not preached the point, but it doesn't, the passage doesn't exclude that possibility. It just says that the essence of prayer is to turn your heart and put your focus on the living God who is asking for your fellowship, who wants you to know him, and you will be blessed. Again, a lot of prayer gets off base because we don't believe God really wants us to come. We believe that there are all kinds of barriers that are out there which hinder our coming. They may hinder our success in prayer with regards to getting, you know, getting an answer to prayer. And there's a lot in the New Testament, or there's a lot that Jesus is going to say about prayers, answering prayers, because we are called later on to join Him in the fight that He's in. And that will involve asking Him to work on this earth, to bring His kingdom to pass. It's, it's a real part of prayer. But it's not the essence of prayer. God's not, He's not, He's not short of workers and needs you to be there as a worker, what he is is he wants you. He wants you. He wants you to know him. And your ability to ask and receive later on will depend on coming into his presence. It is a very healing presence. It is a very wonderful presence. You get honest with God. You say, well, what if there's sin there? Well, I'm telling you the truth. If you come honestly to God and speak to him, and you've got sin, you're going to figure it out in an awful hurry. Because the living God's going to speak to you about it in all of His kindness, all of His goodness. I wonder what those people would have prayed that day. I don't know. I don't know. But the first principle of prayer there that they needed to understand was God was asking them just to come. The danger is that I use
prayer for something else. And as I tell students, just my, my advice to you also, never use prayer for any other purpose than talking to God. If that goes off in mind, I could do it. Like I said, I've done it. I have done it. I've been standing right here trying not to do it, and I still do it. I still preach away. You're going, wrong. I hope that what I said was helpful, but it wasn't prayer. It just was not prayer. Because prayer is talking to God, not talking to people about God. It's not, it's not, it's not a, a, a means of counseling. I have to be thoughtful in my prayer. I have to guide people in prayer. I have to think about where we're going in prayer, but I have to be speaking to the living God, not to the people who are listening. And the reason I don't want to do that, and the reason you shouldn't want to do that, is because of the great privilege, the great possibility of you today meeting with the living God. Just meeting with Him. And letting Him as God be to you what you need Him to be to you. And He's right there. He's not, he's not somewhere else. Our Father who is in heaven, that in the heavens there can, it, it speaks about way out there, but the heavens for those people, it's because it says He's the God who's in the heavens. The heavens start way out there, but they come all the way down to the very breath I breathe. This is the beginning of the heavens. Our Father's in the heavens. Then comes those things we're to pray. Essence of prayer, get along with God. And right now, the invitation's there. You can do it. You don't have to prepare for it. You don't have to get yourself ready. You don't have to know anything. You don't have to know verses. You don't have to know the right words to speak. You don't have to know anything else. All you have to do is honestly come to him and start talking and address him. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And in the middle of the storms that people go out into, they need to remember that. That was always putting roadblocks up between you and God. The Lord says, now come. It's just like that hymn, just as I am, that one place, that that blood was shed for me, and that you bid me come to you. Oh, Lamb of God, I come. Come because he calls us to come. And everything is there. Everything is there. It's all been made open. It's been open. uh, An enormous sacrifice. A great work, which is indescribable, took place so that that could be so. And now it is so. So let's enter into his presence. Let's trust him to bring us into that real experience. Okay, let's pray. Father, teach us of yourself. Enable us. We thank you for your call. And we ask you to enable us to appropriate, to enter into that full blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.